0: Welcome to Revitalizing the Declining Church with Dr. Desmond Barrett brought to you by the Eastern Kentucky District Center for Church Revitalization, a center that envisions to partner with churches and her leaders to strategize, strengthen, and discern the spirit of God's will for
1: the local church. Welcome to episode 45 of Revitalized and Declining Church. I'm your host, Dr. Desmond Barrett. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Paul Hobbs, the pastor of the Retreat Church of the Nazarene in Yukaipa, California. He has an earned doctorate in organizational leadership from Grand Canyon University, a master's in religion from Liberty University, and a bachelor's from Nazarene Bible College. He has been a church revitalizer for the last seven and a half years. He's been a church planter. He writes for Outreach Magazine, and he's in the process of writing a book on eight principles of leadership for the established church with Dr. David Church, the former vice president of Nazarene Bible College, and myself that will come out in 2023. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Hobbs as he shares his heart as a church revitalizer, a church planter, and someone called by God.
0: I think what makes me a church revitalizer is that God put me in a dead church and I had to move forward from there and accept that assignment from the Lord. Right. And so as I accepted that assignment, it was a humbling season for me um, because after 14 years of pastoral ministry, I didn't want to start over again, but God arrested my heart and showed me a group of folks that deserved another chance their church just could not be closed they couldn't like yeah it couldn't be closed they were too wonderful they they were open to change they were willing to follow a leader and so i stepped in and we just redid everything
1: <laughs> so in your local church uh, number 1 where are you located what's the church's yes. name how long have you been there
0: we're on the southern california district and we're in a little city called Yucaipa, which is part of the inland empire tucked away kind of in the foothills of the san bernardino mountains And so um, we're there. I came here in December of 2014, and there were about 10 people left. They had a Saturday night kind of gathering. Um, Basically, those 10 people were the board and maybe one or two other individuals. And so that's when I got here. I was in between churches. Um, I had stepped away from the denomination and pastored an independent church for seven years and then really felt the loneliness of that and just wanting to reconnect with my Nazarene family, and so I did that, jumped back in, and our district superintendent and district advisory board welcomed me back, and it was a good season, um, but I I kind of, I guess I wasn't accepted by church search committees, if you want to put it that way. District superintendents were putting my name out there, all those kind of things, and then uh, the thing was is somebody said, some of them were saying, he just... He left before, is he going to leave again? All that kind of stuff. So church boards didn't like find me an appealing candidate for anything. I kept coming in second um, on various districts for various churches in various states and that kind of thing. And I just got to the point where I said, Lord, if you want me to pastor a church again, you're going to have to open a door for me. I was in um, high school education, those kind of things. And so when I got the call to do this, the phrase was, I should close the church, but if you want it, then you can have it. And I was like, okay. All right. So that's where we've been. And uh, that's how I got here. And it's been a beautiful season. I love the community. I love the church. Um, we've seen God do a bunch of great things. And so I think that when we humble ourselves and take these positions that let's face it, other pastors, they don't want them. Right. And I, to be honest i wanted nothing to do with it either i wanted to step into a church with a staff and a full time salary <laughs> you know that that's what i wanted that's what i want that's how i started my ministry right out of bible college i was at a full time position in a church with our church secretary and staff and that's i pastored that and did that for 7 years um, so i felt like why would i and then i went and planted a church so i thought why would i ever want to pastor in a revitalization setting there's a reason and there are several reasons why they got where they landed and i just didn't want anything to do with it but like i said the lord arrested my heart there was no other avenues for ministry but i had a passion in my heart to preach and so um yeah and then i met these 10 people and they were just they were they were amazing they they deserved a good pastor They didn't deserve somebody that was going to retire in a year. They didn't deserve um, someone that didn't have a lot of experience, you know. And to put it fairly, a brand new pastor with very little experience put into a dead church is a bad marriage and a catastrophe. So these wonderful people deserved a pastor with experience, and it was in the at least the middle of his ministry. I'm, I'm 25 years in. I think I got another 20, 25 left in me at the age of 51. So these people deserved, they, they, they were just amazing. They deserved a second chance from someone that could help them move forward. And I, you know, say, call it arrogant, whatever. I believe in my gifts. I believe in my calling. I step into ministry confidently, knowing that the Lord is leading me. And um, I believe in God for good things. So.
1: So that's how I landed
0: here, and that's why I've been here for seven and a
1: half years. So when you arrived uh, for the very first time um, at the Retreat Church of the Nazarene, what was, what did you find when you walked in those doors and they accepted you as their pastor? I found people that were ready
0: to um, explore new ideas and follow a new leader. I found people that wanted to be supportive but needed some direction. I I found people. Um, willing to embrace a new pastor. Um, their previous pastor had been there for 14 years. And um, I did not allow them to kind of sit in whatever it was that got them to where they were, right? I told them that if I was to come in and be your pastor, we're gonna we're gonna treat this as a church plant. And you are the core group, and we are not going to carry anything forward from your previous um, leadership. Um, all of the good stuff that was there, all of the negative stuff that were there, that's in the past. Let's celebrate. Let's have a celebration of all those years of ministry. The Church of the Nazarene in Yucaipa, um, I believe it was planted in 1953. so And they built a beautiful facility with a gymnasium. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful space. So there were years of wonderful ministry under wonderful pastors. And I said, let's celebrate that without going down the rabbit hole of this is why this happened. This is why th- we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. We're going to celebrate the season. We're going to close it. The end of 2015, I got there in January of 14. I'm sorry. Um, no, December of 14. I said, so come January 1st, 2015, new season let's start fresh. And they, they were willing to do it. And I had a conversation with one of the board members. Some may not think this was positive, but he pulled me aside in the foyer. And he said, if you come be the pastor here, I want you to know we'll fo- we're following you. This is your, your canvas. You paint, we'll follow. And I was like, well, okay. you know." Um, so that, that's, what, that's what I found at the church. Wonderful facility, a good group of people, All the, I want to say, naysayers had said nay and left, and the ones that were ready to get to work and dream for a new vision were present.
1: So as you began to dream again and to recapture the heart of your people for God and the community that's around it, what have you found is your biggest challenge as a church revitalizer? And how have you addressed that? How have you dealt with these challenges that has kept you? Because the average church... uh, a member is is not staying in the church. They're church shopping and they're looking at other even denominations. And of course, as pastors, we're staying on average about three and a half, four years, and we're moving on. And yet you've had a tenure of seven and a half years of pushing forward in a church revitalization effort. And I imagine it hasn't been easy.
0: No, it's it's been it's been terribly difficult at times. There have been Sunday mornings during worship that I'm desperately looking at the back door wanting to run out of it and just to, to just you know kind of say hey this has been a wonderful season I've, I've done my I've, I've done my share I'm tired I want to go right um but I I keep going back to that word arrested because I feel like that's what God has done in my heart it was easy going there and there was no risk right there was no risk of failure the, The DS said they was going to close the church. So there's no risk of failure. So the first year was easy. The first year was we're talking about what we're going to do. And we then we just created some small wins and we took one year to dream together and to create some small, some small wins. And so, so we did that. And that was easy to create small wins and say, let's dream for a year, right? To say, let's dream for a year no one's demanding any results, no one's looking for any measurable goals to be achieved, it was just let's dream together, and let's do some small things, so that that was easy the first year, but then, you know, you start gaining some expectations, if you have these small victories, well, okay, then maybe we should have some bigger ones, and maybe we should be doing this, and then when you start setting some expectations of yourself, then comes the pressure, right, and so the most difficult thing for me was and continues to be my own expectations and um, the things that I think the church should be, right, when maybe that's not God's plan. So surrendering my expectations to the will of God is the hardest thing for me in leading this church.
1: Now, yeah. So... After this period of COVID-19, and as we record this, we're seeing a post-pandemic reality in some communities and truly across the United States, and there are still some deaths from it, and new variants are happening, seems, on a weekly basis, but it has radically changed the revitalization efforts in our churches. Have you seen a setback in the progress that you had made over the last two years because of it, uh, because of this pandemic, this once in a lifetime pandemic? And if so, how are you adapting to that as, as your ministry assignment has truly changed?
0: It, it is indeed has changed. And what happened for the first five years I was here, right, 2015 leading up to the, to the pandemic, um, I lived outside of the community. I lived an hour away. So I commuted in and I was bivocational so and i was working on my doctoral degree so pastoring the church living in my living an hour away being bivocational, vocational working on a doctorate we had to lead in such a way that empowered other people right and so because i wasn't here so i did a lot over the phone a lot of those kind of meetings a lot of um delegation and doing those things and for the first five years that was the structure of our church. The pastor was not on campus. The pastor was, you know, delegating over the phone, doing meetings, coming into town once or twice a week. Um, and we saw, you know, some numerical growth. We went from that initial 10 to averaging um, in the 70s. And so we became that church of 70 with the programs put back in place. And, you know, the basic stuff for the church was there. We we're averaging about 70. In morning worship and midweek activities, we had those going in a small group ministry. We did all that. In 2019, in November of that month, I felt the Lord say, Move into the community, right? So we sold our house an hour away, bought a home in the community. And then three months later, the pandemic hit and uh, the high school that I was working for closed down. And so, in the middle of all this, and my wife had a terrible car accident. And so she was going to be. Um, in recovery for months, up to a year. It took about a year for her to recover from that, Um, and a new baseline for living for her with some health issues. Um, So in the middle of all that, we had to, like every other church, do some things that we weren't comfortable with. First of all, I was very thankful that the Lord called me into the community, because now I lived here, right? And now I'm here. We can't meet as a church but yet I can meet one-on-one with people. We had things in my front yard. We would go to the park. We would do those kind of things. And so I was so thankful that I had actually gotten into the community. And then we had to step out in faith and say, we are a small church without recording equipment. Our sound equipment was old. Um, we didn't know how to live stream and do all those things. So we just on the fly started creating that kind of ministry. And it it wasn't very good. Um, and preaching to the camera was not my favorite thing at all. One of my board members said, pastor, you're way better live than you are in front of that camera, right? So we had to do all of that, like everybody else did. But I want to say the major challenge was in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, my wife was out of work recovering, right? I was teaching. But Then in May of that year, I lost my job teaching at the high school. So I sat on the couch with my wife. We didn't, we were trying to change everything about what we were doing in the church. Our core givers were still giving, right? All of our, our finances did not take a dip at all. And they haven't taken a dip at all through this whole thing. Our attendance has been horrific at times. Finances stayed stable, but I lost my job. So I'm thinking to myself, sat on the couch with my wife and I said, honey, we may have to believe the church doesn't have money to pay us and I have to find a job. So wherever that work is, I have to go. And so we sat there thinking, how do we leave a church at the beginning of a pandemic? They can't meet. They can't do anything. I know a lot of pastors were quitting, you know, even early on. And I thought, Lord, please do something because I cannot leave this church in this season. And so less than 24 hours after I lost my job, a donor, well, we we gained a new private donor that was a former student of mine um, who has a fair amount of money. And um, he told me, he said, he asked me how much I made teaching annually. And I gave him that figure. And he says, okay, I'm writing a check to your church for that figure. You're good for a year. And he said, let's get through this. And he said, you need to focus on leading your church through this. So we had a major miracle through that. And he has subsequently paid two thirds of my salary since that that point. And so I'm able to be full time at the church. So in the midst of this whole thing with our, again, that same spirit of being, being willing to move, willing to change, willing to pivot, willing to go online, go outside. At one point when we were allowed to come back, we were in the sanctuary, out on the lawn, and online. Zero complaints. Zero. Through this whole thing, no one has complained. They've all come to me, pastor. What's required of us? They don't. They're an amazing group of people. And the biggest challenge for me, again, my own expectations, right? And then, um, but God has seen to it. That he's provided for us, you know, financially and being able to stay there. So, how we've navigated that was extreme flexibility. And then, you know, Nazarenes, since Brazil have tried to be via media right down the middle. So out here in Southern California, you know, we're in a a pretty conservative little pocket in the midst of a very liberal kind of space in California, and we have people in our congregation from all political persuasions and various theological perspectives and we had to really take that core tenet of the Nazarene church of not going extreme in the in the middle of the political divide because not only do we have the pandemic right we have this political season that's just been horrific again one of the characteristics of my church is I have someone that's very very right and someone that's very very left they came together, they're in the same small group, and they gave each other a hug and said, we don't agree on hardly anything, but we are both part of the family of God, and they gave each other a hug, and that characterizes our church, so that staying down the middle, staying flexible, staying um, committed has really helped. Now, Now, where we're at, at this stage of the pandemic, my congregation and my leaders are tired, okay? So, over the last couple months, I've been trying to rejuvenate them by giving them more of my personal time, more of my personal care, um, being attentive, trying to give them time off, trying to give them breaks, trying to do these things to really ease ease the burden. Because now, you know, two and a half years into this pandemic, my people that are willing to be flexible, never complaining, they're just tired. Mm -hmm. And so we're, our board meetings, our dinners, our fa- we call them family dinners. <laughs> our board, we have one tomorrow night. And uh, that's kind of how we're working through this, is admitting that we're tired, loving on each other, being, giving each other some emotional space, trying to stay down the middle with all those kind of things. And I think we're navigating it pretty well. Um, this, this summer, the last two months, admittedly, our, our attendance has been about half, whereas it didn't really drop through the pandemic, but it's that tiredness now right? They were willing to be flexible, willing to change, willing to do all of these creative things. And now they're just, oh, pastor, I need a break, you know? And that's kind of where where, where, we, where we sit, you know, this, this month of July.
1: So many pastors have uh, gotten tired and have moved on or have been thinking about moving on. What keeps you grounded where you're at today? You know, Desmond,
0: because I had left the denomination and come back, I felt like an unwanted pastor, right? I felt um, kind of rejected, even to my own doing, right? Like, I, I did it. I'm the one that made the choice to step away from the denomination and plant an independent church and go that route, right? And then I came back. So I, I had, I'll own that, right? But I, I felt unwanted, and then when I stepped under this church in that December of, um, 2014 and I preached a sermon and the response, you know, some people didn't know I was a pastor. A couple of the people didn't know I was a pastor. They thought the DS brought a a high school teacher in to give them a, a, a message for the weekend. And they didn't even have a Sunday service. It was a Saturday night gathering. And so I came in and preached and one lady came up to me afterwards and she said, have you ever considered being a pastor? And I said, yeah, I've been a pastor for about 14 years. And she goes, Oh, I thought you were a teacher, and I said, "Yes, I'm a vocational pastor and high school teacher." And uh, she goes, "Oh, well, I heard you preach," and she thought she said, "This guy needs to be a pastor." And she goes, "Well, if you're a pastor, would you consider being our pastor?" And one of the board members came up to her and said, "Hey, we can't ask him that, you know." So all of a sudden, I went from feeling very rejected to wanted, like these people wanted me here, you know. And then a couple of the board members coming and. Saying, hey, we would, you know, I know you just came here to preach, but would you consider staying? The DS called me and said, hey, I don't know what you did there, but those people really want you to stay. And they had me and three other pastors lined up to come and do a season of preaching there. Once I stepped there the first time, the other ones never showed up. I just kept going back. And so because those people, and some of them still remain, most of them are still there, of those 10 people, a couple of them has moved on, one has passed away. Um, but how dare I leave them in a season such as this, when they welcomed me and accepted me when no one else would, I, I just, you know, I, I can't, I like the Lord would have to do a major, major thing in my life to get me to step away from that core group of people who give me the privilege and allow me to be their pastor. So I, it's like, I just can't you know, of course I would, if God called me, you know, I even told my district superintendent, I said, if anybody calls about me, just tell them, no, I don't even want the, I don't, I don't, I don't want the conversation, you know, and I know my flesh, right? My flesh says, well, what if a larger church called me? Well, I I know my flesh would want to go in that direction. So I told my DS, I don't just send them on. Don't want to hear it because, you know, and if God breaks through that, then God breaks through that. And I'll, I'll do what the Lord says, but i yeah, like, I don't want to leave these folks. No way. Not up to them giving me the chance. And the kind of people they are, the love and respect that I get is embarrassing. It's it's, it's embarrassing how much they give me that.
1: Well, I appreciate your heart. And, and I, I know that those that are listening uh, will understand that uh, God has given you a lot of gifts. And one of them is to see the compassion and love of your people. And so what is... What's some advice as we wrap up our interview today? What is some advice that you would give to a church revitalizer or someone who's going to go into a church revitalization and they're going into the hard place where there is 10 people or 15 people and uh, the facility is older and the community has moved on without that local church? What would you encourage that revitalizer to do and um, and to be in that, that season of the calling?
0: I think... You would have to start. start A friend recently told me um, that sometimes when he goes up to preach and he feels like the congregation is not going to respond and he just feels like maybe there's no hope left, maybe he should leave, maybe these things. He said, Preach as though you're preaching to dry, dead bones (laughs) and let the Lord breathe life into those bones. And maybe that's where church revitalizers start. You're coming to the valley of dry bones. And you're asking God to perform a resurrection and um, acknowledge that there's been a death. Acknowledge that there's probably been a season of very bad mistakes um, that have been made or outright rebellion and sin or poor leadership. Whatever that season is that got it to where it is. When you step into that, speak to the valley of dry bones, pray to the Lord for a resurrection and start looking for little, tiny, relational wins. I think that's a good start.
1: Amen. I appreciate you, Dr. Paul. You're a great man. God is using you in a mighty way, and I'm thankful for your conversation today. Thank you for asking me. It's been great. Thank you for joining me today on Revitalizing the Declining Church. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you be willing to share it with your colleague? How about on social media? Why don't you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss it the next time it comes out? From the Eastern Kentucky District Center for Church Revitalization, this has been Dr. Desmond Barrett reminding you to stay prayed up and keep pressing forward. God is on your side.